I'd like for you to stand as we read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Would you stand this morning in honor of reading God's word? Therefore, since we have also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despite the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Dear Heavenly Father, may you honor the reading of your word and may it pierce our hearts that we will walk away from here changed, Lord. We'll give you the glory for everything that happens. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I like going to the beach even before there was this shark phenomenon that has been plaguing our coast here lately, but I used to love to, to, to get in the ocean and and when you get out there deep enough to where you, the waves come in and you can jump and the wave will carry you up and then bring you back down, man, I feel like Superman when I do that. When, when you feel like you can jump about three or four feet. Listen, for a guy like me, that's quite an accomplishment. The thing is, is that when you go into the ocean, nine times out of ten, if you're not careful, if you're having fun in the ocean, you lose sight of track of time. Before you know it, you can look up and that beach chair and that uh, nice cold Pepsi and, and all of that great stuff that you brought to the beach with you is now way down the beach because you have been pulled with the current down the beach. Now, it's easy to correct. You get out of the water and walk back up the beach, right? But the thing is, is that, that I'm so enthralled with being in the ocean and and, and playing around in the ocean and, and feeling like a superhero, jumping up and down through the waves, that I forget that I'm drifting. That I'm drifting away from my beach supplies. And one of the greatest dangers that Christians have today is the fact that they are drifting and they don't even know it. That they are so far from where they started in their walk with Christ, but they're too busy jumping up and down in the waves to realize how far they have gone. And people are giving little to no effort to growing in their relationship with the Lord. The, the Bible calls that discipleship of learning, and, and we are called as a church and as Christians to disciple other believers, but folks... There has got to be a hunger for God's Word. And I'm afraid that, that in today's culture, so many times we can have people pray the prayer and then we can baptize people and then that's, that's where it ends. And then if you're not careful, that drifting will take place. But folks, Jesus did not die for our sins so that we can drift along as Christians. His blood was not spilled for you and I to simply claim the security of our salvation while at the same time not working towards the process of our sanctification. Now I know those are big church words, but basically what that means is, is that we can rejoice that we have fire insurance, that we're not going to hell, but if we are going to try to live for the Lord, we're saying, I'd rather not put forth the effort. 
Because that effort of sanctification is to make us more holy, to make us more like Christ. Because, folks, listen, for those of us that were born or actually reborn as Christians, it says that we are a new creation. And I want to let you know something. If you are a born-again Christian today, you are not reborn to drift. You are not reborn to float. You were reborn to run. You are a runner. There is no such thing as drifting when following Jesus. You and I are either doing one of two things. We're growing or we're backsliding. If you want to say that I'm just floating along, that I'm a floater, the only person that floats forever is a dead person. We are either going forwards or we are going backwards in our walk with Christ. So we are either dying or we are running. And to achieve the results God desires for you, you must decide today if you are a runner or a drifter. And if you are running, my prayer for you is the same prayer that the writer of Hebrews says, that that you are to be a runner, to run with endurance. So what does that mean for you and I? I have a a question to give to you. It said, and here it is. It will kind of frame today's message. Has the faith in God you have today prepared you for the trials of tomorrow? Has the faith you have today prepared you for trials tomorrow? Now, I would say that's kind of a trick question because who knows what tomorrow holds? Nobody. But if the bottom were to drop out tomorrow... Would you be ready today? Well, I don't know about you, but but if I were to go into the gym and try to lift 600 pounds, I know I couldn't do it because I have not trained up to that level. But I do know that whatever I get put in front of me tomorrow, the faith that I have today is the strength I have to deal with it. Does your Spiritual walk, does the strength that you have in the Lord, is it strong enough for you in case you have a trial tomorrow? My reason for asking this question is this, is that many don't have a problem identifying with Christ. Many will go to the point of even actually calling themselves Christians. And they have prayed the sinner's prayer. They have been baptized. They may even be members of a church. But let me ask you something. Is that enough? Is that enough to have your relationship, to have your baptism? You can check it off. You've got your membership card and you're ready to go, right? That is not the Christian life. That is the Lord working in somebody's life. But listen, if someone prays to receive Christ and they come and Christ comes into their life, you're not going to be settled with just staying there. Because we get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that indwelling of our, the Holy Spirit challenges us to run. We all probably in here have different uh, things we like to collect. Some people like to collect, um, you know, memorabilia. Some people used to do baseball cards. Uh, My wife likes to collect teddy bears. If there is a teddy bear that doesn't have a home, she will bring it in. Uh, you know, I used to collect fire trucks, and we've talked before about like Star Wars toys. If you had those Star Wars toys from back in the 70s that were still in the box, you could be writing your own check nowadays. And so the thing is, is that when we collect those things, they have value at that moment. And over time, they might increase in value, 
But if we buy something and just stick it on the shelf. Listen, when you're a kid and you get a toy, are you thinking, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire, you know, in, in 20 years if I leave it in the box? How many of you want to leave it in the box? No. If you want to leave it in the box, you buy two. One to play with and one to leave in the box, right? But so many times as Christians, just like people who are collectors, we have our relationship with the Lord, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, we've been baptized, and we go to church, but there's no real moving of the Spirit in our life. There is no running. There is no endurance. And folks, God did not call us to take our salvation and put it on the shelf and gaze at it and look at it. He told us, matter of fact, Paul says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, that, that this thing called Christianity, this thing called serving the Lord, it is an active process that we all must take. But, but faith can be like these collectors for many believers. They're very active in the early years of their faith. But after a few years, they outgrow it. Their Christian label becomes just that, a label. God has not called you today to sit on a shelf. Jesus did not die on the cross and defeat death just so that you could label yourself as a Christian. Folks, listen. If you identify with Jesus Christ, he has called you to run. He has called you to live out the Great Commission. You can look for yourself. It says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the age. And and you might say, well, preacher, I'm not gifted to, to talk to anybody, to teach anybody about those things. That's right, you might not be. But being involved in a body of believers called the church, you, by being active with the the gifts God has given you, allows others to do the same. When someone walks down this aisle, it's because everyone in here had a part in that. When someone grows in their relationship with the Lord, it's because everyone had a part of that. When, When marriages come together, it is because... Of the body, when Jesus Christ does amazing things, when we do mission projects, it's because of everybody. You don't have to be the front runner, but you have to run. And that's what God has called us to do. We see that in the parable of the talents, that Jesus expected his followers to do the work necessary to usher in his kingdom. Bluntly, I'll just say it like this way. We have to put forth the effort. Matthew 25, verses 29 through 30 say this. They say, for to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have more than enough. But to the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. If you are too lazy and if you are not compelled to live for the Lord and live out the Great Commission in whatever way God has called you to do that and you don't want to do that, folks, I would question your decision to be a Christian at all. Because he says here that this person who was a lazy servant has no respect for the master at all. If we love God, we are going to serve him. 
So today, for you and I, we don't need to rest in our title or our label as Christian today, but we must run with endurance. We need to get off the bench and get in the game because you will face trials tomorrow with the strength that you are building today. So you and I both need to build up your faith's endurance and my faith's endurance. So as we go back to our passage today uh, in Hebrews 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to dissect the first verse into three parts, okay? A, B, and C. So the first thing we see here in the first part of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, You've heard me preach long enough to say, when I see it there for, what do I want to do? See what it's there for. And so, as we look at this, we see that when, when I used to hear this passage, I've got to tell you, I, I, I had it wrong. When you read this passage and you see, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, we kind of think, it's kind of like the marathon runner that comes in, you know, they cross the line, his family and friends and all these great people are cheering him on, and they're, these witnesses say, oh, you ran so well. That's not what this passage is talking about. You're not going to get an attaboy from Moses when you cross the line. What does it mean that, that these cloud of witnesses are before us. It shows us that, number one, we need to look to our heroes. And I want you to understand, when it says that you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, it does not mean that you have a lot of people wearing your colors, wearing your logo, and shouting your name. The witnesses are not spectators. They are martyrs. The word witness here is taken from the same root meaning martyr, which means that that the writer of Hebrews is making this point. At this stage, by walking through this hall of faith, therefore, it does not mean the heroes of faith are in the stands watching you and I as we struggle in our faith. What does it mean? It says, we are not just to agree that these men and women are heroes of faith, but their examples encourage us. In other words, their lives, just like martyrs, they bore witness to what we do. Now that they're witnessing us, they oh, you're so good. Their life has bared witness. They have gone, they have paid the price. And so when we walk through those halls, it's not about them giving us accolades. It's about us giving them accolades. And not empty words, but living our lives for these men. Because they have shown us what it was like to serve God, to be a man of faith, to not be perfect, to make mistakes, but in the end, do our best to run the race that God has set before us. They have shown us how to live out our faith. For example, if you're having family problems, go read Joseph's story in the Old Testament. If you're overwhelmed at work, read about Moses in his struggles, if you're in tough situations where you are tempted to take action into your own hands, or if you are getting, you feel like God is getting far away, read the story of David. Folks, for some reason we have thought that the Old Testament is just a bunch of names that we can't pronounce, and uh, that's there for, for the Jews to enjoy. We're just, I'm a New Testament Christian. 
Folks, the New Testament is here because of the Old Testament. One benefits the other. Folks, if you hear nothing else I say today about the Scriptures, do not discount the Old Testament. I want everybody to turn to this verse for a moment. If you don't have it, you can just read it on the screen. Romans 15.4. Paul himself talks about the Old Testament Scriptures in Romans 15.4, and he says this. He says, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from that scripture. What Paul has just said here, and if there was ever a man that was having a bad day, it was Paul. And he was saying that when I need strength, when I need encouragement, Paul didn't have the Old Testament. He didn't have his own writings. All he had was the Old Testament. He said, when I'm in need and I need to endure, when I need to to endure these chains that I'm in, when I need to endure this persecution, when I eventually give my life for the Lord, when I have to endure these things, I think of the Old Testament heroes of faith. Folks, that's powerful. That's powerful. In the second part of verse 1, we see that we need to run with endurance by preparing ourselves. By preparing ourselves. What does he say? He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Everybody here look in the mirror this morning before you came to church? I hope so. Yeah, you got to to comb your hair. You don't want to be coming in here looking like a you know rooster or something. I mean, you don't have to be vain about it, but I think everybody probably at least took a glance. If you didn't take a glance in the mirror, you did pretty good because everybody looks, looks great this morning. But here's the thing. As we are running for the Lord, we need to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. There was a man who wanted to run a marathon. He came to the starting line, and he was wearing a backpack. And in that backpack, he had everything he needed for his marathon. You know what he had? He had a gallon of Gatorade, because that's what he was going to need to drink on his run. He had his laptop to check the weather and to post his update on his run to his friends on Facebook. He had his MP3 player and his headphones so he could listen to music. He had his first aid kit. He had some back team in case he was to scrape his leg. He had all of these things in this huge backpack, and he was ready to run the race. Now, obviously, I'm not a runner. You can look by this physique, and I'm not a marathon runner. But I do know this, that if you were going to run a race, that gallon of Gatorade would get really heavy really fast. I know that having your laptop out trying to post your progress while you're running is going to be kind of difficult. I know that, that having all of these things that logistically, you, I mean, could anybody take, I mean, you could justify all of those things I just mentioned. But, I mean, runners, these guys and girls that are professional runners, they go even as far as to to research the kind of shorts they're going to wear to make sure they're not wind resistant. I mean, that's some serious stuff. 
When you are calculating resistance down to that minute level, folks, when we run the race, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that whatever is not necessary for the run, chunk it. And he's saying here, it's not necessarily all bad things. There are good things that can slow us down as well. At times, these things could have been considered really good things, but they are unnecessary while the athlete is running. So the things that this athlete thought would help him were the very things that were weighing him down. As Paul is telling us to run with endurance, he's telling us to prepare ourselves. How do we decide what weights to get rid of? How, how do you take, when you're looking in the mirror, how do you decide what needs to go? Well, we must run with purpose. Remember, your life and my life, they are a race with a beginning and a middle and an end. For some of you in here, you're right at the beginning. Others, middle. Some of you, you're about to cross the finish line. But listen, that's not a remark on age. He's not talking about physical age. He's talking about spiritual age. There's a big difference. I know some Christians that are in middle school and high school that are way more mature than some people that have been in church all their lives. Running the race is no respecter of age, creed, color, you name it. It's about where we are with the Lord. And in the time span of eternity, think about it. If you, if you take the, the term eternity, infinity, and then you put our, in some cases, 60, 70, 80, 90 plus years into the time span of eternity, folks, we're just like a gnat on a dog. What we do here is just a minute part of what eternity is going to be like. So we must not allow even good things to keep us from the best things. Folks, how do you decide what to get rid of? Anything that distracts you from doing what you know God wants you to do is a weight. God has called us to make disciples. God has called us to baptize. God has called us to reach out. God has called you to run. And if there is anything in your life that says... Uh, I don't know if I can do that. That is what's holding you back. If there is sin in your life that you say, well, you know, I've got this grudge or, or you know, this thing happened to me or, or God can't love me because of this or, or whatever it might be. If there is sin in your life that's keeping you from loving the Lord and serving the Lord, why is it doing that? Paul, or the, the writer of Hebrews here says that we are to get rid of these things. In today's age, we have never been busier. I mean, I have got email in my hip. I, have, I can reach the world with my phone, with my tablet. And uh, there is definitely no, uh, I don't know about you all, but, but in the old days you had one doctor, now you have 12. You know? And so, I mean, you, you've got so many doctor's appointments, you've got so many school assignments, you've got so many things to do for work. And then the church is saying, hey, we want you to come up here another night. You've got all of these things going on. You've got to prioritize. And yes, some things you're going to have to say no to. But the thing is, what accomplishes the purpose that God has given you? Those are the things that we need to major on. 
But unfortunately, in today's society, there's, there's families who have replaced being in God's house with family time. Family time meaning the kids can do whatever they want. The dad stays at home all day watching football games and the wife can do whatever she wants to do. And we're not going to church. We're having family time. I have never seen a parent or a family regret being in church if their kids grow up and stay in the faith. How many parents have I seen burn the roads up on weekends, keeping their kids in every kind of extracurricular sports activity? And I'm not preaching against sports activities. If you've got kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews that that are doing this, I'm just saying this, is that I have seen so many families and so many parents push their kids to keep them busy, to, to keep them away from drugs, to keep them in with the right crowd, and to possibly get a scholarship for some kind of athletic or academic thing at the expense of going to church. And then when they become of age and when they start finding out what they want to do with their lives and they reject the church and they they get into situations that are really bad, they'll always come back. What happened to my kid? Why didn't the church do anything for them? Well, we couldn't have access to them. Those are good things. Being academic, getting a scholarship, those are good things. Playing ball, having a good time with your friends, those are good things. But it's also beneficial to be in church. Also, he says that we need to get rid of the sin that so easily ensnares us. I want you to understand this warning. Be warned today that ignoring God today will bring devastation tomorrow. Ignoring God today will bring devastation tomorrow. If there are things God is working on your heart in, and you're saying, oh, preacher, I didn't come to church today to do business with him. I didn't come here to get meddled with. Just give me my sermon. Let me go eat my lunch. If that's all you want, you're heading for trouble. The sin that so easily ensnares us, when you let even the smallest bit of sin in your life, it takes root and builds a wall between you and God. It it sidelines you from the race. I don't know about you, but when I get a little rock in my shoe, it drives me nuts. And and to not get rid of that, that rock in your shoe would cause a blister. It might get infected. And before you know it, you might be in the hospital because you never took that little pebble out of your shoe. Folks, that little sin that you let stay in your life, that, that little thing is the very thing that will bring you down. It is the very thing that stands between you and your fellowship with God if you are a Christian. If you are a Christian and God feels far away from you, it's probably because you've got that little pebble of sin in your life that you won't get rid of. And if you are not a believer and you feel like God is far away and he doesn't understand you, then you've got a pebble in your shoe too. Because, listen, we're all sinners, are we not? And we all fall short of the glory of God. But here's how sin works. If you want to know how sin works, you can look at James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And I put this on the screen for you as well. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Sin starts with a thought. 
And usually it's one that comes from our sinful nature. And then when we feed that, it gets bigger until a thought turns into a meditation. And a meditation turns into an action. And an action brings consequences. And the consequences are what take us out. All because it started with a pebble in our shoe. Folks, be quick to recognize sin and repent from it. Or it will take you down and keep you from running the race God has set before you. The third part we see in this first verse is that when we run with endurance, we run with endurance by, of course, running. He says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Folks, whether life gives you a straight road, a downhill grade, a uphill struggle, you must run. Each of the heroes of faith that were listed in Hebrews 11, they faced challenges, they faced trials. Some even stumbled along the way, but what did they do? They got back up again and they finished the race. Uh, There's a friend of mine, some of you might have heard him before, when we did our last revival, he spoke one night. He wrote the book, Outrageous Lifestyle, and uh, it was based on Gideon. Well, he's got three children. Uh, his oldest, Taylor, is on the cross-country team at Anderson University. His middle uh, daughter is actually getting ready to go to Clemson, go Tigers, right, for cross-country. And then his, his younger son is also running cross-country. So the whole family runs together. And he has a definition that he's used with his family. And I wanted to share this with you because I texted him the other day and I said, Dwayne, I'm, I'm preaching on running with endurance. And I knew his family was big about this. So, so let me show you this quote, the Morris definition of endurance. It's the ability to finish what you started, no matter how difficult or how bad you want to quit. Now, he knows a little bit of something about this because he was a runner. He was a coach. And we see here, I showed you a picture. This is his middle daughter, Logan. She just, she has been, she has got every state record in cross country right now. All those medals she's holding, and Georgia and Clemson were trying hard to get her to sign with them, but she chose Clemson. So as far as being a champion, running with endurance, uh, he's got two daughters that are going to be in college running for cross country, and his son's not going to be far behind. So he knows what he's talking about, and this is what he says about that. He says, In running a race, everyone starts at the same point, and most of them will experience the same discomfort. But it is the runner who can endure that discomfort the most that sets themselves apart from the rest. He says in our our house, we call this the you versus you conversation. Your body is screaming, slow down. But your mind and determination says, keep going and go faster when you can. Dwayne says, as I was training for my marathon, I had a 16-mile training run. As I approached my 10, my 10-mile marker mark, I was near the road that would lead me back home. As I was approaching the turn, I began having my you versus you conversation, justifying why I should end my run. Then the words of Paul came to mind. One, let us run with endurance. And number two, forgetting what is behind, I press onward toward the prize. Dwayne says, I was allowing the distance behind me to justify why I would stop my run. I needed to forget the miles behind and focus on the goal of running the full 16 miles. That's what I did. Once I passed the turn, the conversation inside my head subsided. 
All I did was make the choice to endure. Then I finished what I started. Man, I, that just that I appreciate so much that he shared that with me because that is so true. When, when we, we can talk ourselves out of a blessing, can't we? Well, I don't know if I'm going to go to church tonight. I'm not, I got a little pain in my side, and, and I was there this morning, and, and uh, you know, I, I've been there enough, or they're not serving food tonight, so I'm just going to stay home. Uh, you know, and all these other rationales we give for not doing stuff, more, or, or, you know, I know that God wanted me to do a shoebox, but God knows I just hadn't had time. And all these different conversations. I mean, even, hey, listen, when he's reading this, I mean, I, I am trying to get back on the, the health wagon and try to get back on the treadmill. But I've had that you versus you conversation. And it says, you need to get off. And I say, okay, good. we got to not talk ourselves out of a blessing. You can endure, Christian, because you are running towards victory but you also run with victory. How do I know that? Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So folks, as we look at verse 2, let me say this. Start running with endurance today by keeping your eyes on Jesus. And when I say this, it just... I don't know how to say it. It sounds so cliche. It sounds like what a preacher is supposed to say. Just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen. It sounds so easy. It sounds like something you can put in a greeting card. It sounds like, oh yeah, tell us something we don't know, preacher. We have heard it so much that we have become callous and desensitized to that term. To keep your eyes on Jesus. Why does a runner run the race? Is because they have their mind fixed on the finish line. I was so moved last week in that Franklin Graham video where the, the veteran that was blind had his friend running with him doing a triathlon. What kept him in there? What kept him moving? What kept him pushing? The finish line. The purpose. He was running with purpose. What keeps us living for the Lord? What keeps us running our race? It is the finish line. He says in verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. When it says we need to keep Keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. I want you to understand something. That is not just a cliche of something the preacher says. If they were doing, uh, if they were doing uh, Family Feud, top 100 answers are on the board. What does the preacher say? Keeping your eyes on Jesus would be one of the top five. We know that. We've heard it. But keeping our eyes on Jesus is a literal switch in our head. It's hard to look up. When we're so consumed with our lives and everything around us. He's saying, don't look around. Don't look inside. But look up. You remember Peter? One of the great disciples? The one that Jesus built his church on. He had a problem with keeping his eyes on Jesus. You remember? He, Jesus came and walking on the water. 
And all of a sudden, the winds and the waves crashed around him, and Paul started to go under because he took his eyes off of Jesus. What did Jesus do to him because of that? Well, it says in Matthew 14, 31, it says, Immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? You will never know that kind of protection. You will never know that kind of love. You will never know that type of rescue that Jesus will give to you unless you get out of the boat. Unless you say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to run. I want to quit. Everything inside of me screams you can't do it. Jesus says you can. And I will be with you. Folks, this passage says you are not running alone. Because, folks, Jesus endured more than anyone. He endured the cross He was doubted, he was scoffed, he was mocked, he was challenged, he was persecuted, he was even rejected by his own father. And finally, he was falsely tried and sentenced to death, the most shameful, humiliating, and painful death imaginable. He endured all of this. Why? For what goal? For you. And for me. What kept Jesus on the cross? Did you notice when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't praying for his needs. What did he say? Luke 23, 34 says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Folks, when you run this race, you do not have to run alone because Christ has run it before you. And he is running beside you. You do not have to run alone. Since Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, by placing our trust in him, whether it be for the first time or the hundredth time, that trust will release his power into your life. He will put you in the race, and his Holy Spirit will give you the strength to run with endurance. Do not give up today. Look to the faith of others. Rid yourselves of the weights of guilt and sin and worry that are holding you back, and run, because you don't have to run alone. <laughs> I think of, uh, I think of uh, my dog Bruno and, and our dog before Baxley. Is it uh, one thing you would take him to, and or you take him to a big field, and you tell him to run? Man, it's like he's grinning from ear to ear, and he is just taking off because he was born. To run like that. You are too. You were born with a purpose. You were born to run. Don't weigh it down with religion, church attendance, and lowered expectations of God, of what he's going to do in your life. Run with endurance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to show us that, that many of us in here have claimed to know you, but Lord, not only us, but, but churches all over the world. They're just not running. They're just drifting. So, Lord, I just pray that you give us that fire. You give us that vision of the finish line. The Lord, we came in here out of routine. But we leave here with a reminder of the purpose that you've given us. is to reach your world for you. And if there is someone here today that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, 
that has no hope of running this race, that is lost and drifted so far they have nowhere to go. They've lost all center of true north and where home really is. And they want to be your child. May they come forward. I will pray with them and we will lead them in a sinner's prayer. And we will teach them what it means to be a Christian. Lord, you can do that. You can save. They might not want to walk forward in front of all these people. But I guarantee you, if they do, there will be so many in this church that will rejoice with them. It's not about the emphasis of, I might look bad. It's about what Jesus did for you to make you so good. You have to accept that. Maybe there's Christians in here that have been beat up. Lord, remind us, we don't run in our strength, we run in yours. But we must run with endurance, like those men and women before us that are listed in the Hall of Faith. They weren't perfect, but they were perseverers. Father, this invitation time is for you. You may come forward, pray with me, pray at the altar, join the church. Let the Lord so lead. Would you please stand?